This is Kathleen Kaufman, author of the Davla Trilogy, Hag and the Laird Baylor, and you're listening to the HP Lovecast. Hello, and welcome to episode 45 of the HP Lovecast podcast. I'm Michelle Brittany, editor of James Bond in Popular Culture and the Bram Stoker-nominated Horror in Space. I write on all things pop culture with a special emphasis on the horror and spy genres. And I'm Nicholas Steinach. I'm a pop culture scholar of peplum films, industrial music, horror studies, and the editor of The New Peplum from McFarland. Michelle and I also co-edited horror literature from Gothic to postmodern, also from McFarland. Uh, today's episode, we're going to forego our regular programming, and instead, we're going to provide listeners with a little behind-the-scenes of where we're at, uh, check in to chat about our projects, and we're going to announce a little modified schedule for the rest of November and December because it's the holiday season. So we've got a lot of stuff going on right now, not with just the podcast, but a lot of personal projects. So, Michelle, November's been quite a busy month for you. <laughs> what you been working on? It was my birthday. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was your birthday, wasn't it? It was. It was my birthday. And um, in, in true fashion, Nick uh, spoiled me on my, on my birthday and uh, made, a, made a special dinner. Um, that I really like, which is um, bangers and mash, um, which is kind of a, I guess, a, an odd, odd meal, but it is a English meal where it's uh, sausage and um, mashed potatoes, and we had uh, veggie, veggie uh, sausages, and Nick made mashed potatoes from scratch, and they were absolutely yummy, and then um, Nick also got me a uh, fudge cake from a Swedish bakery here in Phoenix. So, um, yes, I was royally pampered and spoiled for the day. So, um, so that was the start of, start of November for me, sort of, but, um, if we wind back it <laughs> just a few more days, um, I started the NaMoWriMo, um, for the seventh time. <laughs> Um, it's been a bucket list for me, um, and I have, this is my seventh year that I am trying to, um, actually make 50,000 words in one month, and, um, interestingly, in 2015, um, the furthest I ever got was 11,413 words, um, so I, you know, was definitely hoping to surpass that. Um, but, uh, I'm been pleasantly surprised. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. What, what's your word count now? Um, it is as of the recording, 24,254 words. So that's more than double what you did a couple years ago. Uh, yes, it is. Um, and it's kind of funny you bring that up because I really thought that, when I surpassed that number, I would be, like, doing the happy dance. And I was. But, interestingly, it was when I hit the 20,000 words 
that seemed to be the tipping point for me where I felt like that gave me the boost of confidence that I felt that, okay, I can really do this. Prior to that number, I just kind of felt like, well, I'm, I'm not really sure if I could or not. You're laughing. So when we interview people, the first yeah. question we ask is, tell us your <laughs> elevator pitch for your book. So, so Michelle. Oh, you're so mean. <laughs> tell us the elevator pitch for your Nano Whammo book. <laughs> okay, so um, it is a historical romance, and it is set in the late... 1910s uh egypt uh part of my so that's it that's the elevator pitch <laughs> you gotta give us a little bit more <laughs> no I, i'd like to tease <laughs> um it is about a young woman who goes to egypt she um is going to work at a ex uh expedition with her uncle she's an artist uh so she's going to be an illustrator I picked that time because even though photography was in use, there was still the need for illustrators because they could capture color um, and detail. And so I thought this would be a, a great way to um, have this character interact with that time period. Um, there's also the other reason that I picked this time was there was a lot of social and political unrest during that time in Egypt and it was at a point you know World War One has come to an end and Egypt is looking to secure their independence um, so that's that's kind of my my reason for choosing that time period um, I'm also have personal experience and they always say write what you know um, I've actually been to Egypt um, many many years ago um, but one of the things that I noticed in reading memoirs and biographies and things like that is that even though Egypt is changing, there's a lot of things that kind of remain the same. And so I felt like I had um, a fairly... Oh, uh, there was our cat who just did the, the big thump onto the table. So um, I felt that even though I'd been to Egypt back in... 1980s, even though I was writing about the 1910s, um, I figured that I still had some good insight um, to that time period. Uh, obviously, I've supplemented by referencing a lot of vintage photos, uh, uh, YouTube documentaries. Um, I actually referenced a lot of the Amelia Peabody's Egypt. Those are the novels that were written by um, Elizabeth Peters. Um, who writes a lot of mysteries uh, in in Egypt. Mine's not a mystery, but um, I can definitely reference a lot of her material. So um, I did probably the most prep that I've ever done for um, a NaNoWriMo. Um, I actually, I used their um, 101 six-week workbook um, the Ready, Set, Novel Writers Workbook from Chronicle Books. Um, I took a cue from Munich um, and used note cards to record scenes. So I was doing that uh, leading up to November 1. Um, I know people ask, like, well, what software? You know, that's always a big deal. Um, and I downloaded uh, Scrivener, but I'm actually using Pages because um, I'm kind of being a little bit strict with the word count. I'm only counting the words that are in my novel. 
It's not like book notes or, hey, I'm going to, you know, interject this scene later or anything like that. I'm not doing any of that. So the word count I have is strictly the novel. Um, that's just um, my own personal structure that I've put for me. But honestly, it's very open and book notes are co completely fine. So I don't want people to think that, oh my God, I can't include book notes and things like that when doing this. Um, my biggest thing is re uh, avoiding uh, rabbit holes. I'm really bad about that. <laughs> Nick knows that. Uh, I'll do research and then suddenly I'm I'm six bounces somewhere else. Um, so that's been one thing. Um, and then also keeping accountable. Um, uh, this year is the first time where I post my progress every day on Facebook as a way to keep me... Um, uh, keep me um, accountable for my word count. Um, obviously, I do it at uh, the NaNoWriMo uh, project profile that I have set up. But um, the Facebook post is twofold. It's being accountable, but it's also uh, part of my support system. I have writer buddies. Um, I have personal friends that are that are supporting me. Um, I post through the local Nano. Uh, Rymo group uh, here in Phoenix and of course Nick has been probably my biggest supporter um, really helping me to clear my plate um, so that way I could really focus on because this really is an important um, achievement personally for me that I want to do. Um, I think uh, I'll end my project uh, discussion with uh, one of my biggest hurdles is my internal critic, that, that internal voice that tells me that I'm doing everything wrong. And um, the local NaNoWriMo uh, moderator posted a, a quote that I really like, and I actually have, I rewrote it, taped it up on my wall right in front of me, um, and it is from uh, Shannon Hale, who says, I'm writing a first draft, and reminding myself that I'm simply shoving sand into a box so that later I can build castles. So I'm really um, using that as kind of my mantra every time that when, if that internal voice starts to kind of rear its ugly head, I just look at that and I get back to writing. I'm just not worried about it. I'm just shoveling the sand. And that's kind of funny that it's sand um, <laughs> into the box. But um, that truly is what I'm doing. And for me, that has helped um, so much in being able to focus and actually um, work towards the 50000 that I know I'm going to get. So um, there will be a Kodak mat uh, moment at the end of the, end of the month, I'm sure, um, that I'll be sharing on social media. So that's probably my biggest, biggest project that I'm working on in, in um, November. And you're halfway there. And I'm halfway there. So, um, Nick, you just did uh, a huge thing this past week. Uh, how about talking about that? Yeah, so I've never done NaNo. One of these days I might do it. I think I've signed up for it. I get their emails. But, you know, even though I haven't done NaNo, I still crank out a lot of writing all the time. Uh, and this November is no exception. Um, uh, I had a presentation this past Thursday at the Mid-Atlantic Popular and American Culture Association. And that's actually my first time presenting at that particular conference and my first time presenting at a PACA conference since 
oh man, 2013, 2014, because we used to go to the Albuquerque one together. Yeah, I think it was right around that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was all virtual, so that's really the only reason I presented at it, just to check out kind of an all-virtual con, and uh, I was encouraged at the behest of Michael Torregosa to, to go to it, because he runs the uh, medieval panels there, and since my peplum work has crossover work with uh, medieval stuff. Um, so so entirety of half of the first half of November was getting this presentation ready, and uh, let's just be honest. It wasn't the first half of November. It's maybe all the couple days leading <laughs> up to the day. But 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 to be fair, you know, this has actually been a presentation I've been working off and on for a while now. Because maybe I was going to turn it to an article, maybe a website uh, article or an interview. So I actually had a lot of internal work done for it. Um, my presentation was on an industrial band called Asylum and how they uh, sample the TV series Vikings, and that actually. It's kind of an offshoot of my Gladiator essay that's supposed to be published early next year, which is Industrial Bands that Sample Gladiator. And that was such a fun concept to dive into, exploring antiquity from music sampling. And so I was able to kind of leverage a huge chunk of that to basically do it again, but for uh, Vikings. And so I gave that presentation on Thursday. It went really well. Um, I'm going to... Uh, record a version of it and upload it to YouTube and I'll just probably make it a, an unlisted link because I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Again, I might turn it to a journal article, might shelve it for a future project, but I'll get it out there and put a, a link to it on my website if folks want to, you know, hear uh, some aggro dance beats combined with uh, Ragnar and Ivar yelling at people. <laughs> so that's that was kind of the big accomplishment uh, this month was getting that presentation in order. Well, interesting, Nick. Um, I'm I'm kind of curious how you made the jump from um, Gladiator over to the Vikings. Um, were you familiar with uh, Asylum Band? How did you How did you come across them? That, them them I've been familiar with for quite a while, and I I always like hearing samples in industrial music. You know, I've been into industrial music since the '90s, and so for me, whenever I hear like a movie being sampled in a song, I'm like, ooh. You know, one of my favorites is um, Frontline Assembly's uh, Mind Phaser, which is full of RoboCop samples, and I'm like, yeah, that's so cool. And so I don't know. It's just I'd recognize the Viking sampling in the album. And, uh, I'm like, you know, I just kind of filed it away as something interesting. And then, um, when Torragosa came up to me and said, Hey, you want to present at PACA this year for the medieval panel? I'm like, well, I don't know too much medieval stuff, but do Vikings count? Yeah, Vikings count. So that's kind of, you know, what put it there. I just, again, I kind of see it as an offshoot of my sampling scholarship and industrial scholarship. And I, I guess Vikings is kind of an extension of peplum stuff. Uh, you know, the old uh, Italian sword and sandal films it also included Zorro films, swashbuckling films, pirate films, Viking films, because, you know, they all used the same directors and actors and low production values. Um, so I guess it wasn't that hard of a, a shift to to do that. And just out of curiosity, what, did you have anything on Vikings in the new peplum? Probably not. I don't. No, I did, or actually. Did Anytime I could get a chance to <laughs> pimp scholarship <laughs> for my own stuff, I will. There actually, uh, there is an essay in my new peplum book uh, by Steve Nash called There Are No uh, Boundaries for Our Boats, uh, Vikings and the Westernization of the North Saga. And there was actually a uh, two pages, three pages in there about the Blood Eagle 
uh, right. And oh, how... and that's why that's in your, yeah. your presentation. Okay. So I'm like, hey, you know, bol bolster up my presentation, link to the scholarship of my own book, triple win. Well, that's great. Yeah. And uh, in case you're not familiar, it's the new Peplum. It's also from McFarlane. It has the rock right on the front cover. It looks great. Yeah, it way. does. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michelle, what else have you been working on as of late? Well, um, I've actually also been um, volunteering my time. Uh, Nick and I have two kitties, uh, Algernon and Cecily, and sometimes you do hear them in the background, either meowing, uh, as Cecily was doing so just a few moments ago, um, or Algernon uh, thumping to keep us in time. Um, but, you know, cats have always been very important to, to us. Um, we've always had rescue kitties um, or, you know, free-roaming um, community cats that decide that they want to stay stay at home with us. Um, and we've, we've ended up with cats that way, too. Um, but uh, after I moved to Phoenix, one of the things that um, we came to realize is just what a um, huge situation um, that exists here in Phoenix uh, with... Um, cat population, free-roaming cats that are all over. We didn't really have that in um, Southern California where we moved from, um, move here, and we're in a community where there's probably at least a dozen to, what, 15 cats, maybe 20 cats. And um, I really wanted to be able to do something to help. And so um, in August, I... Um, volunteered with the Arizona Humane Society and um, so I've been working there three hours a week uh, usually three to three and a half hours a week and um, yesterday I just completed my AX2 training um, they do different levels of training so AX2 uh, I could do after I'd done 15 hours of basically community service and um, then I could do another six hours of training for the AX2. So I, I moved up from the newbie yellow <laughs> lanyard to the really slick black one. Um, but that also, you know, kidding aside, it now allows me to actually interact with the cats directly. Um, I'm able to do out of kennel time with them. So um, that's really nice. I get to personally interact with them. Um, help train them or just give them lots of love and attention and talk to them and you know be able to just focus in on them. Uh, cats that um, are scheduled for out of kennel time but may just not be in the mood um, I can also do in kennel time and basically what that means is I can open the door uh, to the kennel and just kind of interact with them uh, in that in that way and some are very happy you know they just want that others want to get out there and and go and jump around in the playroom <laughs> and you know have have access to to one-on-one -on -one time so um i've been doing that i'll continue to do that um in the foreseeable uh future so what about you nick what what other projects are you working on well i'm not always writing about sword and sandal stuff and lovecraft stuff what I actually write about <laughs> write about tiki stuff now and then as No, really? Folks may notice on social media posting cocktails and pinups and stuff. Um so now I write for a magazine called Exotica Modern. 
uh, issue lucky number 13 just came out i just got my contributors copy in it's got a book review of cuban cocktails uh that i did um i did the book review not the book, Cuban Cocktails. <laughs> Let me clarify it real quick. I wish I did, because that book is one of the best cocktail books I've come across. Um, well, and why is that? Just uh, It's so laser-focused. A lot of tiki cocktail books kind of rehash the same recipes over and over again, uh, or they use a lot of esoteric ingredients. This one is very... Since it's laser-focused on Cuban cocktails... It, it's not so random with their ingredients. So as a beginner, if you only got so many stuff in your bar, you can make almost all the drinks in it other than most tiki books, again, which rehash the same recipes, but to call for, you know, crazy ingredients, you need a huge bar to try them all out. So it's just such an accessible book. Is it a tiki cocktail book? Not necessarily. I think folks would probably call it a tropical drinks book, but I don't care. Uh, it's a fantastic book. Um, Highly recommend it. Plus, you know, the pictures in it are great. Um, yeah, this is great for beginners as well. Um, I did an interview with a, pin, a New Zealand pinup model, Miss Corsair Debonair, and that's going to be uh, published uh, February 2022. And then uh, I think a future article I'll be working on is for a video game called Call of the Sea, which apparently has Lovecraft undertones, and if that's the case... That will also probably be a future episode of HP Lovecast. So what else is going on for you? Um, well, uh, I have, uh, before I get to that, I wanted to make a comment. I've actually um, visited Cuba. I took humanitarian aid um, and did um, like a crossover uh, school study project. And I, as you were talking about the Cuban music, it reminded me, um, I went to a... I think it might have been like a continental hotel we went there for music but it was definitely a hotel from the 1940s and 50s it was probably built earlier than that but it was known for all of the cuban drinks the kind of like tiki and mid mid-century kind of exotic uh trends probably had expatriates uh, working there as, as bartenders. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's actually very reminiscent of the Cuban drinks that you were talking about. That just cued me in. Uh, one of the other things that I'm working on um, that, I've, that I've been doing for years, actually, and that's paper crafting, um, otherwise known as scrapbooking for, <laughs> for people. But I, I actually go beyond that. Um, I do... Uh, scrapbook, but I also make my own um, like travel journal uh, notebooks. And um, for instance, I just did for the HWA Halloween haunts last month, I did uh, what's called a zigzaggy um, mini journal books. And um, maybe we'll put a link in the show notes so you can see that. Um, but I also make uh, greeting cards. You can see those on my, my personal Instagram um, but I do a lot of paper crafting, and so when I'm not um, working on podcasts, um, or right now, <laughs> NaNoWriMo, um, I'm uh, knee-deep in, in doing various crafting, um, paper crafting. Uh, back to you. What you else are you working on? Uh, well, the only craft stuff I do is craft cocktails. <laughs> and you do a very nice job on that, by the way. Um uh, my, my website is still a buzz of articles and news roundups. I, I do a weekly roundup of both personal and peplum news. So 
I'll always check that out. But um, I've got a, a to-do list of a whole bunch of book reviews, interviews, essays, and so on and so forth that I've been slowly chipping away at. Um, probably the next articles you'll see at my website is either an interview with the creator of Band of Warriors, whom I've already interviewed before, but this will be for their second issue, and also the cocktail book Art Boozle. And the other thing I, I need to buckle in and do, since we'll be talking about uh, Anne Radcon here in a little bit, is I really need to start my Rene Girard Lovecraft essay. Um, one of my big, big, big to-dos is to write a a book or a monograph that's cover to cover me, uh, not not an edited collection or anything like that. And this is going to be 2022 will be my year to do that, I think. Um, I've done quite a bit of research for it. It's just I keep <laughs> getting sidetracked by other, you know, low-hanging fruit projects to, to crank out. And I guess uh, the final thing I should add is this year is the first time I have something eligible for a Bram Stoker Award um, in the... Um, newly made uh, short nonfiction category. I have an essay called uh, Kazothra Photogen Magnifying the Carnivalesque and Lovecraft through the comic book series Vinegar Teeth. That should sound very familiar because we've talked about Vinegar Teeth on this podcast before, and I've actually presented this essay uh, twice uh, at the uh, comic book conference at WonderCon. I forget what they're called. Whatever that con uh, is. Comics Art. Comics Arts Conference that was mm -hmm. at WonderCon and also at uh, Ann Radcon a couple of years ago. So I actually was able to publish it um, at a venue, and it does qualify for the uh, Bram Stoker category. So if you're a member of HWA and you know you're in the recommendation process and you're curious by it, you know you can either email me or go to my website. There's a link to it. Uh, do check it out. Yeah. And, um... I also participate uh, in the Anne Radcliffe Academic Conference, uh, besides being the, um, the co-founder and co-host of it. Um, I'm actually got like an, a, a short stack of note cards uh, trying to uh, hone in on what my focus will be. Um, I'm kind of leaning towards uh, three topics and I'm still trying to decide uh, either discussing underwater um, or the vast of night or um, discussing a retrospective of uh, Junji Ito. I really love his manga work, and I'm right in the process of reading one of his uh, adaptations from a novel. Um, not, not Quite Human, I think is the name of it. I'm not sure. I'm drawing. Not quite got it right. But um, I've been gobbling up all of his writing. Um, I've got two that I'm still looking for. I, it's Fragments of Horror and Frankenstein, which happens to be um, edited by Nick Mamatas. So I'm saving the best for last. Mm. Well, I think on that note, we should probably move on to the joint projects we're working on, which uh, Ann Radcon is the biggest one. Um, we have our fifth year of Ann Radcon in 2022. We've made it five years. Um, Woohoo! It <laughs> started on a, the Queen Anne or Queen Marie. I don't know. Queen Mary. Mary. The Queen Mary in Long Beach. Uh, is now, you know, I think it's lasted longer some, than some other academic conferences, so bravo. Um, so yeah, uh, StokerCon is May in Denver 2022. Uh, our Ann Radcon, the CFP for that is active, and we're doing a hybrid con. There will be both in-person and virtual, and we're strongly recommending that folks that do present in-person make a 
virtual version as well so people can hear their work that way but our call for our presentations is open until the end of December so get those abstracts in um, the CFP can be found in a variety of places um, the StokerCon website UPenn HNET uh, the our, HWA mm -hmm. Academics Board. Uh, if you're an academic out there and want to proliferate it, we'd be super appreciative. Yeah, and, and just so you know, folks, you know, even though it's an academic conference, we've actually had nonfiction writers. We've had fiction writers cross over and present. Um, we do ask that it's, you know, some sort of research that you've even either done or you're in the process of doing. Um and we asked for uh, an abstract, I think it's 200 to 300 words, a short uh, list of your bibliography that you're planning to use, as well as a brief resume. Now, we, we are always impressed by the 20-page resumes, but keep it short, okay? <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to save paper here. Um, but like Nick said, um, those will be due um, by December 31st. Um, we also, um, Nick, we got a shout-out for... The horror literature book. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, Ellen Datlow puts together these best of books every year. Best of horror, best of other things. And she has a book that's being published this Tuesday called Best Horror of the Year, Volume 13. And I think it's got some uh, reprints in it. But also I think she goes down through genre and like kind of highlights some of the anthologies and other books and stuff about them. But apparently in the nonfiction section... Our um, edited collection, Horror Studies, I'm sorry, Horror Literature from Gothic to Postmodern Critical Essays, uh, has a mention uh, kind of spotlighting the first two years of our Anne Radcon. So I guess that's kind of a, a cool little badge of honor to be mentioned in an Ellen Atlow book. Uh, yes. Well, she's, she's big uh, with all the anthologies. Um, she's kind of the, I would say, the subject matter expert and, yeah. and the one that people uh, look to emulate. Um, we also have another project that uh, Nick and I have worked on together for quite a long time. And actually, Nick, it started with your um, engagement with uh, Hercules. Do you want to talk about how that first developed? And then we'll talk about how that's morphed into the project we work on today. Yeah, we do our Scholars from the Edge of Time podcast. And uh, this month we celebrate our fourth year doing it. And it kind of started out because of the new Peplum book. See, hey, you get to pimp it again. Yeah, you know, I was asked <laughs> to be on this show to talk about the book, and it, I just kept getting asked back to talk about other sword and sandal things. And he's like, hey, Michelle knows Egypt stuff. Let's get her on, too. And that just kind of morphed into our kind of general scholars from the edge of time, which is a, a name we lifted from the Lynn Carter book. Um, one of my favorite books, actually, as campy as it is. Um but yeah, uh, we've we've done interviews, film reviews, book reviews, comic book reviews, interviewing uh, other video authors, games video are, games. I, yeah. yeah, just, you know, in our loose sense of what antiquity is, but also, you know, um, even outside that to talk to other authors who are working on their crafts because, hey, you know, knowledge is always a, uh, a nice little journey to go down. Yeah, you know, and more recently, um, the the progenitor of this whole... Um, Mount Olympus um, focus is Hercules Invictus and he's been you know 
you know, evolving the uh, focus and the content and things like that. So our program has too. Um, we recently kind of narrowed our focus to the sword and planet genre specifically. Um, Nick, how, would you mind describing what that genre is to our listeners since we're more horror here? Um, knockoffs of Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter books. That's <laughs> basically the gist of it. And kind of examples that uh, we've discussed in the past has actually been John Carter, Jupiter um, Ascending, is that right? We haven't discussed that one yet. Oh, we haven't discussed it, but it, but that's in the, the we, genre. We, we, so far in the podcast, we talked about Ice Pirates. <laughs> oh, yeah, Ice Pirates, that's right. Yeah, I, that, was a fun, that was a fun, fun one. And Dune. Oh, yeah, Dune. That was a great movie. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely see that. So this is a, a project that you know we've been working on for four years, and we actually broadcast typically the fourth Thursday of each month at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that we we broadcast live, and then Hercules uh, archives them to Blog Blog Talk Radio Library, mm-hmm. um, that people can then stream later at any time. Um, we do have programming already established for November and December. So uh, November 25th, we'll be discussing the Luke Besson's 2017 film of Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. It is a adaptation from a French comic, also by the same name. And for December 23rd, we're going to be digging uh, back into the vault for... Yours world. He's the man. Yours world. <laughs> I knew you'd want to do that. <laughs> we'll be talking about Your the Hunter from the Future by Antonio Margaretti, one of my guilty pleasure films because I love all things Antonio Margaretti. And uh, that film is from two uh, from nineteen eighty three. Red Brown. Red Brown. I think that'll be be a fun fun one to discuss. We've actually met Reb Brown, so we got a little bit of insight about the film mm-hmm. uh, when he was uh, a part of it. And I think that does it for our joint projects. So as you can tell, folks, uh, we, we've been pretty busy. You know, personal projects, joint projects, podcasts. There's also, you know, the, the grindy day-to-day jobs and other stuff as well. So, you know, kind of transitioning over. That does mean we've had to... It's the end of the year. It's the holiday season. We're juggling quite a bit of stuff, so we kind of got to shuffle a few things around on the old podcast for the last two months. Yeah, so we're going to um, turn our attention now to discussing what our modified schedule will be for November and December. We're not sure if you can hear our cat, Cecily, but she has joined us, and she is purring loudly as uh, we... Uh, announce our November-December schedule. So on HP Lovecast Presents Fragments, we will discuss The Void, the 2016 indie film that's steeped in Lovecraftian lore and tropes. This film kicks off our focus on 80s horror. This episode will post on Sunday, November 28th. On our primary program, HP Lovecast, we'll continue with the 80s themes by picking a a couple of stories from Attack from the 80s, the newly released collection edited by Eugene Johnson and published by Raw Dog Screaming Press. This episode will drop on Sunday, December 19th. And then we'll finish up our exploration of the 80s by interviewing a couple of authors from Attack from the 80s. And that program will stream Friday, December 31st. And as a little teaser, January... 
uh, we will be discussing PS Publishing's new anthology, New Maps of Dream. We'll have a bit more details forthcoming in the next month. This episode's bumper is courtesy of Kathleen Kaufman, author of The Son of Abraham. We interviewed Kathleen last month about her latest novel that concludes her Diablo trilogy. We wish her continued success. So we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our website is hplovecast.com. And of course, you can email us at hplovecast at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us by purchasing our books. We each have Amazon author pages with links to all the books we've either edited or contributed individual essays to. Or if you feel like donating a dollar or two, we each have, well, we have a, a coffee account for HP Lovecast as well. A link is provided in the show notes. Thank you all so much for listening. Mm-hmm.